0: This is Footy Time with Daniel Andrews. And as always, I'm joined on the other line by Johnny Raftopoulos. How's it going, Johnny?
1: Yeah, pleasure to be here, Dan. As always, uh, got a very special episode today.
0: They've made a premiership team out of themselves. So we're doing an episode in that in honor of that called uh, Making a Premiership Team. So <laughs> there's a lot of content here. So we're going to go through the 27 players who we think have most contributed to. ...this Premiership, and we'll also do a little bit of a recap of some of the years starting at 2014... ...so going back a little way and seeing some of the key things that happened to actually turn this Melbourne team into a Premiership winning team. Alright, so let's kick things off. First, of course, had to be Nathan Jones. So we are basically going in the order of the players uh, that they were drafted. So uh, some of the older players will come up first... And then after we've gone through all 27 players, we'll go to the years from 2014 onwards. So Nathan Jones, he was drafted at pick 12 in 2005. And he actually played his first game late in 2006. Melbourne was actually pretty good in 2006. So they managed to play finals that year. And they did actually win a final as well before getting knocked out. So uh, Jones actually wouldn't play another final until 2018. So I think he held... Some sort of record for uh, most games between finals appearances. Does that sound right, Johnny?
1: Some kind of record, yes. Some, yeah, I had something like that. Someone trolled <laughs> me earlier this year with that fact. Yeah,
0: not a record you want, obviously. But obviously, as well, Jones stuck it out for a long period of time between drinks there between the finals, and he was actually the best and fairest between 2012 and 2014. And yeah, there was a period there where. Uh, You know, everyone was talking about how he could have definitely gone to another club and sort of sought a bit more success. And he was good enough that he would have had a big influence, you know, wherever he went, really. But uh, he chose to stick it out with Melbourne and try and mould the next great Melbourne team, I suppose. And uh, yeah, no surprise, he was named captain in 2014 and he served all the way through to 2019. Although a couple of those years, he was co-captain with Jack Viney. But yeah, definitely a great leader and uh, instrumental in turning the ship round and just holding things together when they seemed their worst. And to cap it all off, this year he did reach the 300 game mark, so becoming only the second player after David Neitz to reach 300 games. And uh, just to throw something kind of random in here, I actually remembered playing school footy against the Peninsula side uh, for Yarra Valley. And I'm... 90% Ninety percent sure that peninsula side included Nathan Jones as well as a host of other great peninsula players, and yeah, we got absolutely wiped off the park that day. I'd never seen guys do what these guys were doing on the footy field. I don't even remember what the score was, but it was just they had four or five guys who were just on a complete other level. So yeah, it was actually just a good experience to be out there, but yeah, uh, of course getting absolutely belted.
1: <laughs> so that was um, was that at Peninsula?
0: yeah we traveled down the highway there and uh yes didn't know what we were in for lining up the school footy to come up against well, probably that, a couple of guys who got drafted that would least.
1: make sense because you're you're the same age as jones aren't you
0: well yeah must have been eh <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah well, wow.
1: yeah my first um memory was um when i was at i was starting at latrobe uni actually <laughs> at the end of what well, was going to be 2006 and i remember running into a Guy who I knew who um I went to Swinburne TAFE with and he actually was on the Melbourne I think it was the supplementary list in the nineties and um yeah he he'd done a bit of uh, work for the TAC Cup I think it was for the Stingrays and um yeah he was really talking up Jones he said oh this you know this guy's got a booming kick he's really in and under he likened him to Brent Maloney at the time uh yeah and yeah what a career I mean only the second three hundred game player that Melbourne's had and. Yeah, he's definitely the kind of guy you wanted to take into the trenches.
0: Yeah, it was great to see he did get back to the finals in 2018. And at that point in his career, he was still having a big influence, I suppose, as it does. The influence does wane a little in the last couple of years. But yeah, in 2018, he was still an integral part of the side and helped them win a couple of those big knockout finals in Melbourne.
1: He probably could have left, I reckon, around... I'm I'm thinking if there was a time for him to leave, it would have been around 2012, maybe 13. But he stuck fat and... Yeah, we're forever grateful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think he's had a key role in, you know, moulding the next generation. And I think Gorn has talked about how he's had a big influence on him. And, yeah, who knows what Melbourne would have been like without Jones Mm. through that period and after, but... Yeah, I think he's definitely had a big influence on the uptick in Melbourne we've seen in the last couple of years and just the fact that it's a much more stable place now than it was when he came in, Oh at yeah. least yeah. most of those early games. years. Definitely. Yeah, there was a lot of talk throughout the year about you know whether Melbourne was going to try and get him back inside at some point and give him a chance to play in some finals. But yeah, I guess it always seemed a little far-fetched to me, but, uh, you know... Melbourne was just so strong that it didn't seem like it was really that possible for that sort of thing to happen. How how far back do you think he was in terms of the pecking order by the end of the season, Johnny?
1: Yeah, I think that he was probably about second or third in line for the medical sub-spot, I reckon. Uh, I reckon it would have been Jordan. I think Joel Smith would have been next. And yeah, at best, I reckon he was third. So it was a long shot. He was... um he just had such a good run with injuries So I mean, there's no doubt he would have played more games had we had injuries of years past but uh, that's just the way it worked out
0: yeah absolutely so obviously he had to fly home for the uh, birth of his twin daughters and uh, missed being there on grand final day in person as well but I'm sure they enjoyed it uh, from the living room like so many of us in Melbourne yep. did so.
1: he was there in spirit
0: Silver lining. All right, let's move on to the second player now, who is Neville Jeddah. So he was drafted a few years after Jones, the 51st pick in the 2008 draft. And uh, yeah, he was of shorter stature, which a lot of these shorter stature players do go a bit uh, later in the draft as a general rule. But uh, early years at Melbourne, he did struggle to cement a spot. So he was sort of in and out of the side for quite a while. And finally, they actually... Uh, delisted him before Rick, rookie listing him in 2014 and yeah that seemed to be the spark that kind of got him going a little bit Uh, put in a really good off season I'm guessing and came back in 2015 uh, a new player and yeah made his name as uh, a real rugged defender who is really good at competing one on one even with guys a lot taller than him
1: yeah I don't think Mark Neild was a fan at all because he, he only played about five games in that time when Neal was there and yeah, at the end of the 2013 season, he was delisted. And, yep, it seemed like it was all over. But I think uh, Paul Ruse had such a big influence on on Neville. Uh, pretty much as soon as Ruse got in, they um, redrafted him. And I think he just, I, I can see this situation happening where, where Ruse has just gone up to him and said, You can win one on one battles. Well, I just want you to be a defender and do that. And do that yeah, over really and over simplified and over. It. And. Yeah, I think he's just one of the really good Paul Rudd success stories, and yeah, he's he's really good for the community. I always hear countless stories of the work he does uh, off the field uh, for charities and things like that. But yeah, yeah, he's another really good story, another player that you just you need for your when you're building your culture, I guess, and you need these guys with character.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and some of the stuff we were saying about Jones, the fact that he stuck it out through a really tough period, really does go for Jetta and yeah I guess even probably more for Jetta just because he was struggling through that period himself and yeah he found a way to turn it around and become I think he made the All-Australian squad a couple of times so he he had some really good years and he was I think for a good sort of three or four year stretch he was definitely one of Melbourne's most reliable defenders. All right let's move to number three on the list now so I'll hand over to you Johnny take us through Jake Melksham.
1: Yes, yes, Jake Melksham So, pick number 10 in the 2009 National draft for Essendon. Um, early in his career, started off, I guess, as a half-back flanker and moved into the midfield with the Bombers. Uh, you know, hard-working midfielder. Uh, his skill was always evident, but he struggled to get consistency early on. Uh, he would he would turn it over a bit and it frustrated a lot of Mason and friends at the time. Um, he was uh, traded to Melbourne in at the end of 2015 and yeah he missed that year effectively because of the supplements saga and, uh, uh, yep, and he yeah. was suspended for 12 months so he started in 20- he was effectively a new player in 2017 from Melbourne <laughs> even though he'd been on the list for 12 months um but his game really seemed to take a massive shift at Melbourne. He had spent, like I said, he spent a lot of his time at the Bombers off a halfback flank and maybe a defensive sort of midfielder. But at Melbourne, he, he, he kind of went polar opposite. He became a midfielder forward, half forward flank type uh, who would, you know, kick some really good long goals on the run outside sort of the 50. He was very reliable, uh, set shots and his foot skills were some of the best in the team. Uh, I don't, think I don't think I've seen many players with just field kicking skills like Milksham I haven't seen many better in the red and blue the only ones I can really think of are Travis Johnston and maybe Aaron Davey running yeah, through the middle that
0: really stood out to me as well yeah just how good he was at delivering inside 50 and also the kicking for goal he was definitely one of the better kicks for goal through that period and yeah, he didn't always get a lot of chances, but he usually made the most of the ones he was getting.
1: That's it. Yeah, he he became a guy that didn't need to get it a lot, but he could definitely damage. And I think it all came to a head in the 2018 season when, uh, yeah, he probably I reckon that was probably his best season at Melbourne. And who could forget that game in Perth where we were looking to play win and play finals for the first time in 12 years, and he kicked the, the goal to get us in front and then the one to seal it, I think it was, right at the end. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Um, after that, it, it dropped off a little bit in 2019. He had the foot injury and 2020, I think it was, um, he, he wasn't maybe it was due to the foot injury, but he did seem to lose a lot of his running ability and wasn't able to pressure as much. And that's kind of the way that we were going with uh, a lot of those types of players. They had to be able to put on pressure, obviously. So yeah.
0: that was always yeah. a knock on him though. Wasn't it? Like it was he just didn't yeah. put on enough pressure. Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: He was more a ball in hand kind of player. Um, but 10 games in 2021, still played his part. He still helped with his, you know, elite foot skills. Uh, yeah, if he's going to move on to another club like the Gold Coast, I'd really like to see that happen. I reckon he could definitely bring his experience and some composure. But, um, yeah, no, he's definitely played a big part over the journey.
0: There wasn't actually that many players from Essendon that left after that whole supplement saga, was there? Like, I think people expected a lot more players to leave. Yeah. But of the notable players, I guess him and Hibbard were probably the only ones. Yeah. um, Ryder is probably the only other one I can think
1: of. Ah, uh, yes, um, Ryder. Yeah. But most of them stuck. Uh, yeah, guys like Heppel, Hurley, Hooker were all rumoured to leave, but they all, you know, stuck in there. All
0: right. Let's move on to number four. And this is a big one. The current captain, Max Gorn. So... Yeah, Gawney was actually the 34th selection in the 2009 draft, standing at 208 centimetres. I don't think he grew a lot after that, but, yeah, very imposing. <laughs> I'm not sure whether you were there, Johnny, but I do remember seeing his first game at the MCG, and they basically just stood him in the goal square for most of the game and just seeing this gangly guy who didn't have the best movement and his goal-kicking action was pretty poor at that time. It was just... <laughs> It was kind of hard to see how this guy was going to have much of an impact, but yeah, I don't particularly remember. I thought it would have been a day game, but yeah, I remember very vividly the image of Gorn sort of wandering around the forward line a bit, but uh, (laughs) it was a bit of a weird sight. I hadn't seen much like it before, but obviously you can improve a lot and eventually Gorn does start his rapid improvement. But yeah, he was very raw, I think, at this point, as most Ruckman are. So there were quite a lot of injury setbacks early in his career. So ACL and hamstring injuries, I think he did his knee twice. And uh, yeah, really didn't get much of a run at it until 2014. So that was when it all started to get a little bit better for Gorn. And in 2015 in particular, he put in some great performances. One particular... One in particular down at the Cattery where he basically just uh, ripped that game away and everything s- started going Melbourne's way and a lot of it was on the back of what Gorn was doing there. And I think a lot of people would point to that as his breakout game. And that ultimately led to a stretch between 2016 and 2021 where he wins the All-Australian all uh, ruck honours or a couple of times he might have been on the bench but most of the time he was the starting ruck in those years I think it might have been 2019 that he missed out uh, all the other years he was the All-Australian ruck which is a great uh, a great reflection on him and his performance and I think in a lot of those years he was the only Melbourne player to actually make the All-Australian team as well so he uh, yeah, really elevated himself and yeah I think he's just a great uh, example of you know, if you can really work at your game and um, putting everything into improving, and uh, you know, I think he's done everything he could to actually, you know, maximise and you know, play be, become the player that he wanted to be. And yeah, I think he's just done a great, a great job. Basically,
1: yep. yeah, yeah. If you look at that two thousand and nine draft, and I remember it quite well. Um, who would have thought? that Max Gorn would be the only saving grace from that draft. I mean, you, Tom Scully, Jack Trangove, Luke Tapscott, I think at the pick 20, Jack Fitzpatrick, uh, and Max Gorn, uh, who would have thought that you'd point to that guy and go, yeah, that's the, that's the next Melbourne premiership captain right there. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, what a story. I mean, we've heard things come out lately about how, uh, well, I think a lot of people knew that Jim Steins had a soft spot for him and, uh, took him under his wing somewhat, uh, gave him the the confidence uh, with the don't conform stuff, and yeah, it's been a really really interesting journey for Max because he did have that great season. Well, he had that yeah those few games that you're talking about, but I guess 2016, was his first All Australian season, uh, was an excellent season, and he he started off that year by saying that I think Todd Goldstein was the informed ruckman of the comp, and uh, he was saying that that's the the benchmark and he wanted to get up there. But the, what really impresses me with Max is he didn't just sort of rest on his laurels at any point. He's always used every opportunity to go one better, one better, one better. 2018, I think was the first time I heard about how he'd, um, he'd really shed a few kilos and, and improved his running ability. And yeah, just looking for any sort of edge that he could get. And yeah, I don't think he's finished. I think he wants to keep going and going and, any more improvements he can find, but it's been a, yeah, his yeah. running
0: ability in the last few years has got so much better yeah. compared to what it was before. So, oh, it's there's, excellent. A, there's times now where he's streaming through the midfield and it just looks like no one can tackle him. <laughs> yeah,
1: oh, yeah, yeah. No, he's, he's I don't, really improved it.
0: I don't think he's going that quickly, but I guess it's pretty hard to tackle a guy who's that big. And yeah, his running capacity is yeah. really high now. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, yeah, what more can you say about Maxi? He's he's yeah, we're very lucky to have him.
0: So what year did they actually give Gordon the captaincy? Was it 2020?
1: I think it is. I think it is 2020 yeah. where that happens because, uh, yeah, in the To Helen Back documentary, Nathan Jones is giving it up. Yeah, that's right.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he's just a natural leader, I think, very charismatic type of guy people are drawn to, uh, able to talk to, you know, anyone, whether you're the first or last guy on the list.
1: yeah. Very much a lead-by-example captain as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And he seems like the type of guy who wouldn't feel out of place whatever setting you put him in. So that's a great uh, trait to have. And, yeah, I firmly believe that this was a huge decision to make him captain. I don't think what's happened in the last two years happens if they don't do this. So, you know, you get all this selfless stuff where Melbourne's becoming more selfless and more team-oriented. But, yeah, I think... What Gorn has done since he's been captain has just stood out immensely. And, uh, yeah, I firmly believe that none of this happens without Gorn as captain.
1: Yeah, uh, it's hard to argue with that. And, um, yeah, he's just uh, hes just a real – he sets the example. Uh, he's, he's very much a this is what I'm going to do and if you want to follow me, you got to – reach this level, you know, this work rate, this, yeah, these efforts. So, yeah, I, I think you might be right. I think the captaincy has elevated his game, if anything. And, yeah, some players that happens when they get their leadership role. It just takes their game to another level.
0: But I think he also is the sort of guy that understands that everyone doesn't necessarily have to do things exactly the same. And as long as you're living up to what the team needs from you, he'll basically accept people wanting to do things Their own way.
1: That's probably the best way to put it, then actually, yeah. Yeah. He's also got the perfect... I don't think there's a player in the league that has a better balance of being a a character and having a bit of fun and just laser-like focus. I can't... (laughs) He's got the Gus and Gorney podcast where they have a bit of a laugh and then the next minute it's just game face. And, oh, yeah, it's incredible.
0: You probably remember the the smirk he did in the... um, the anthem before the Geelong game. <laughs> yes. Which was exuding a bit of confidence yep. there. So, yeah, wait to see. Yeah. Get a swagger. All right, let's keep going. So, fifth on the list is Stephen May. So, he was actually a priority selection for Gold Coast in 2010, which meant he didn't actually enter the draft at all. So, I think they got two or three of these priority selections before the draft even begins. So, yep. they got that in their first couple of years, I think. It was like a priority uh, zone
1: selection or something like that.
0: Something like that. And he'd become one of their best players and their captain for a few years as well. So he really did stick it out for quite a while with Gold Coast, but eventually uh, he was seeking greener pastures, and that's where the move to Melbourne came. So pick six to Gold Coast, which Melbourne got from Fremantle for Jesse Hogan, among a few other picks in that arrangement but yeah, so for 2018 Hogan out uh, Stephen May in and uh, yeah, just quickly reflecting back on 2018, probably one of Melbourne's biggest weaknesses was the tall defenders so uh, yeah what better player to get in than Stephen May eh?
1: absolutely um, he did stay at the Gold Coast a long time, he was very loyal uh, there were definitely times when it really felt like May was holding that back line together <laughs> And he always had good use as well. He he very good underrated by foot, made the right decisions, and the ball was down there a lot, mind you. So, yeah, he was very composed. But, yeah, yeah. Um, it didn't start off as well as it would have liked. Uh, it, a couple of injuries and a few indiscretions, I guess. But, uh, yeah, that second preseason, he definitely knuckled down and hasn't looked back.
0: Yeah, I think in 2019... 2019- people have said he was probably the most unfit player on Melbourne's list. So I guess that gives you a bit of an insight into the training standards at Gold Coast, perhaps. And maybe maybe just the fact that he didn't really come prepared, uh, to, you know, engage in the training needed in that preseason. And yeah, he had a lot of problems with his body over that year. I think he had at least one bad hamstring injury and yeah, missed most of the second half of the season, I think. But, uh, yeah, valuable lesson and, uh, Increase the professionalism, got the body right, and fantastic year in 2020. And yeah, equally as good in 2021. I think he did miss out on the All Australian in 2020, didn't he? But Uh, yeah, yeah, just got it in 2021. And yeah, the master of the one on one contest. Oh, yeah. uh, (laughs) Can get his defender where he wants. He's um, a complete defender. Gets in with a late spoil, takes intercept marks. And uh, yeah, as you referenced, a great kick coming out of defense. Often it is him kicking out with his long right boots and uh, good at spotting up kicks as well. So, yeah, close to the complete backman for your sort of tall defender.
1: Definitely, definitely. It is an indictment, though, on Gold Coast, isn't it? Sorry, I had to go back to that, just with the training standards and and things. I mean, obviously, um, when Darren Burgess came in, he improved our standards as well. But, uh, yeah, you've heard a few stories like that with Gold Coast, obviously, going back to Harley Bunnell and things, yeah, plays like that. But yeah, it's a bit Bit of a
0: difference between Gold Coast and Melbourne, perhaps in terms of the training standards for sure. (laughs) All right. Next player on the list, number six, Tom McDonald. So he was drafted at pick 53 in 2010. So quite a late pick. And uh, similarly, his brother, I think they got the next year was a late pick as well. So, they got Oscar in as well to play alongside uh, Tom here. And they were both in defense for quite a while. In p- particular, Tom McDonald was a stalwart of Melbourne's defense through the early 2010s. And, uh, yeah, I think he was quite a good player to watch when he was in defense. He would often, uh, you know, take the game on. He'd go for his marks. He might go for a little bit of a wander once he got the ball. And he did turn it over. Probably too much, but <laughs> yeah. he was, he was. I don't know whether you'd call him a natural defender, but, yeah, he looked like a player who was really good at reading the ball and, uh, yeah, was providing some good drive out of the back line for Melbourne.
1: Yeah, I, I thought he was a good defender and he would play on some of the game's best forwards, you know, Rewalt, Hawkins, Cloak. Um, yeah, maybe his ball use out of the back half wasn't, flash, but uh, he was definitely an exciting defender to watch, as he said, uh, look, it it took a little bit of time to warm to him as a forward for me, I, I know a lot of people liked him instantly and thought he could, you know, he, he was a natural set shot, he could kick through the ball and that, but it did feel like he was, he was a good defender and it felt like you were giving up a bit to put him up forward um, at times, but after he had a few, like after about a six-week period up forward and seeing how good he was there, it was, yeah, the the script was flipped and it was hard to send him back.
0: Yeah, I think, so they started trying to play him forward a little bit in 2017, but 2018 was probably where it really took hold and, yeah, I think he was one of the best contested marks in the competition that year, playing alongside Hogan. They were pretty formidable. When they traded Watts, it seemed
1: like the natural decision to move him forward, yeah.
0: And, uh, yeah, I think that year uh, Tom McDonald actually kicked over 50 goals. So I think some people were sort of describing it as a bit of an aberration, particularly for what comes next. I guess there was a lot of expectation after 2018 and didn't quite live up to it. So probably a combination of things there, some injuries. I think he actually, one of the off-seasons, he actually decided to bulk up a little bit as well to try and be stronger in the contest. but Slowed him down. I don't... I don't understand this logic at all because his he's an uh, endurance, Ford. Yeah, his strength was always you know being quick on the lead and being able to outrun his opponents, and he's basically giving his biggest strength away by putting on the weight. So I don't quite understand where he was going with that, and maybe it led to some of the injuries as well. So whoever told him to do that, I think got that one wrong. Yeah, yeah,
1: look. Yeah, You know, if if you want to improve body-on-body body contests, it makes a little bit of sense to get strong. But as you said, he gave away his number one asset in doing so. And maybe some of his injuries, like he did have the hot spot in the toe for a while. It was really troublesome. Uh, you heard stories about how he always had to have his foot in a bucket of water for an hour after the game or something like that. Uh, I don't know how true those stories are, but something along those lines. But... Yeah, I mean he he's he's the kind of player that if you play to his strengths, you're gonna get a lot of dividends.
0: So just how bad things got. Basically at the end of the twenty twenty season he'd had another underwhelming season, uh really struggling. And uh yeah, basically he was put on the trade table. Melbourne didn't want him. Thankfully no one else wanted him either, so he stayed at Melbourne. With a relatively sizable contract that I guess teams weren't willing to take on. And yeah, I guess he had one more chance. And uh, yeah, he definitely took it. He uh, got fit again and uh, started getting his confidence back. One of the things I noticed a lot in, especially 2020, was he uh, was really struggling with the confidence in his marking. He was not, uh, he would never take it one grab. Even when he was marking it, it was like a two or three grabber. So he was dropping a lot of marks. And even, 2021 there was still a little bit of double grabbing there were more one grab marks but still couldn't quite get back to that 2018 form there but um if he can get you know a good distance out in the lead then it's not as big of a problem but yeah he was definitely much improved in 2021 and when McDonald's playing well uh it's really great for Melbourne because he's that connector he can sort of roam up to towards the wing a little bit or sort of between wing and half forward and He's really smart at being able to get the ball onto a dangerous spot, whether it's like a runner going past or, you know, wheeling around and getting it in quickly. He seems to make good decisions once he has ball in hand. So particularly in the first half of 2021, I thought he was really instrumental. And I think we've talked on the podcast about basically when people were doubting Melbourne's forward line, it seemed like everything clicked when Tom McDonald had a good game. And yeah, I guess he trailed off a little bit in the second half of the season Maybe he just wasn't needed as much, but uh, yeah, very important player to Melbourne's structure and uh, definitely contributed a lot to some of the big wins we had earlier in the season.
1: I'd like to know how bad that back injury was against the Gold Coast. It probably wasn't that bad, but I reckon for at least a few weeks after that, he he seemed a little bit, a little bit ginger, yeah. I think he was probably okay after a few weeks, but yeah, it was interesting because it did sort of halt the juggernaut. Uh, for the moment, but yeah, I mean, I think it, after 2018, there was a lot of uh, eggs put in the Sam Wiedemann basket as well, and that didn't quite work out as well at the time as, as they would have liked. It, it ended up putting a lot of pressure on him, and then he finished that season with a knee injury. So yeah, it's it's been ups and downs for Tom, but geez, yeah. I, I think he, he was definitely working towards that, Contested marking form again. Probably not, like you said, probably not quite what it was in 2018, but he's definitely on the right track again.
0: He was marking everything in 2018. I remember oh, yeah. like just high balls coming in and he was taking a lot of them. Like, yeah, it just doesn't happen that much in the game anymore where, you know, a player is taking a contested mark where players are in good defensive positions. Usually it's like someone ghosting in front of the pack or yeah. getting up the highest, but he was just. Jack know, in sort the of, pack, yeah. Yeah, just jacking the pack, yeah. getting in the good position and taking them off. <laughs> yep,
1: yep, absolutely.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, a bit of a malign player over the journey, but I think extremely important to what Melbourne did this year, even if the last sort of six weeks doesn't look like he's had the biggest impact, even when he's not having a huge impact, still takes probably the second-best defender, allows Fritch to get the third-best defender, and he's still really important to Melbourne's structure. So... Yeah, I think he still was important even through the finals where he yep. didn't kick that many goals.
1: Yeah, and important in the grand final because, it, yeah, like you said, takes a good defender, allows Fritch to do what he does. Uh, yeah, very happy for him.
0: be interesting to see what happens going forward with Wiedemann and uh, you know if and when they're going to give him a bit more of a run. What mm. happens to someone like Tom McDonald? Does he have to play a bit more on the wing? But you know we've kind of got those spots better down now, so... Or do you, does Wiedemann only get a look if either Brown or Tom McDonald gets injured? Yeah, I feel Tonson. like
1: for now it is a he'll fight for his place kind of kind of situation. Wiedemann, yeah. Uh, but I, the wing idea, I actually don't mind that. I don't mind the odd occasion of having him as a high half forward up wing, give you a nice tall option. I guess Jackson can offer that a bit as well, but. Um,
0: yeah, it's getting pretty I, I tall, one... isn't it? <laughs> it?
1: It is getting a bit top-heavy, yeah.
0: All right, let's get going. So back over to you, Johnny. We've got Michael Hibbard to have a look at.
1: Yes, we certainly do. So Michael Hibbard missed out on the 2008 draft and spent the next two seasons with Frankston in the VFL. Uh, he would win Frankston's Best and Fairest and the Father Gill Medal, which is the VFL Young Player of the Year in 2010. He was eventually selected with pick number four in the 2011 preseason draft by the Essendon Football Club. Uh, courageous defender who used it well, drawing some comparisons to Geelong defender Corey Enright. But then, once again, the Essendon supplements saga hit and Hibbard was suspended with the 33 others for 12 months. So, around that time, uh, he, unlike Milksham, he was still on the Essendon list, but at the end, end of the season when they became eligible to play again. He was traded to Melbourne uh, and he became one of our most important players, I thought, Dan. A big reason for the charge up the ladder in 2017. Uh, He went on to get selection in the All-Australian team. Uh, Just, yeah, great one-on-one defender. Made great decisions. Used it under pressure. And, yeah, he's been a real stalwart for the club. He you yeah. lost sorry
0: I was just gonna say one of the things that stood out for me most with Hibbard was just his desperation when when there was a ball that you know was there to be won he'd sort of throw himself at it and yeah went back in those probably his best years 2017 2018 he was an absolutely booming kick as well so and he had some really good ball use in those years so uh yeah quite a damaging player for Melbourne in that period. I guess it did tail off a little bit. Uh, thereafter, but he's still a very important contributor and good lockdown defender does the job and uh, yeah, you can rely on him to lock down when needed and uh, the opposition's going to have a hard time if Hibbard walks up next year.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, He did lose his way a little bit, I guess in 2019, but 2020 it was a little bit unexpected. We brought Trent Rivers in and the back line sort of seemed a bit settled, but when he came back in, he didn't miss a beat. He was playing like a man possessed, like he always did. He had some really good games, especially those close ones, like the GWS one, I think it was. Um, and this season, he, he was following that form, but I think he did get injured at one point, didn't he? Uh, or, yeah, around the bye, maybe.
0: Or did he just get dropped?
1: He might have just got dropped, actually, yeah. Uh, I think yeah, he, I think
0: it might have been a matchup thing and he just went out.
1: I think he got injured maybe while playing VFL, though. (laughs) It might have been, yeah. Uh, So Joel Smith came in for a bit, uh, and then Joel Smith went down, so Hibo made his way back
0: into the team. And, yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of Melbourne supporters were very happy with that. They like (laughs) Hibbard.
1: Very happy because there's the personal stuff as well. He lost his brother in April last year, who was missing at sea and never returned. Um, He said he was playing for his brother and also the Essendon 34 uh, none of which have played in a grand final since the year 2012, oh, wow. Then, Yeah, that's crazy. Um, this might be one of the best stories in the whole side.
0: He kind of almost came out of nowhere. Like, you're talking about how he came from Frankston. I remember he just hit the ground running with Essendon. That was back when I was sort of really into Supercoach, and he was pumping out the Supercoach scores really early on. And, yeah, he uh, sort of just came out of nowhere and was very good very quickly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, good find, and yeah, these are the ones you, when you're building a premiership side. These are the ones you gotta you gotta get. It's not all about those top in picks, is it?
0: Yeah, we'll see this as we go through our list. But there's a lot of players here that are 40 or later in the draft, and they're not necessarily they haven't necessarily been on Melbourne's list the whole time. But yeah, I guess it, it is about you know identifying these guys that you know, maybe aren't at in the top few at a club but can actually play a really important role for you and getting them into your side. Like I think you can do very well in recruiting just by going around the edges a little bit more rather than always trying to get the big fish.
1: For sure. For sure. Especially if you if you look for a, a player that can do the job. Just play the role. I mean, it is a team sport, isn't it?
0: And, yes. you know, if you get one of these big fish in, say, for example, Jeremy Cameron, like, they've had to give up so much. Like, even if Cameron's a good player, a very good player for the next four or five years, like, it could actually set a team like Geelong back quite a bit having given up those three first-round picks. So I think you're just playing with fire a little bit when you're recruiting these absolutely top-level guys from other teams. Not to say don't do it, but... It's a risk. I think there's a lot... the you know, the risk versus reward with players, you're not necessarily having to give up more than a top 20 pick. It's it's a lot safer, I would say. <laughs> yeah, it is.
1: It is. Uh, they were all in on that. And, yeah, time will tell if it was the right move. But this is where the the list managers and the talent scouts earn their, earn their money.
0: Like, there, there's no guarantees in the top 20 either, but, you know, you could be giving up a very, very good player and you know, I don't know.
1: Yeah, that's... nothing's
0: nothing's ever known, but I do feel like packaging multiple picks in the especially like if you if there's a top ten pick in there, it's it's pretty risky to be giving someone like that away, no matter who you're getting in.
1: Yep. Yep. That's a lot of talent to give up, isn't it? All
0: right, let's we, keep going. We'll who move, was eighth on our list? We'll
1: move on to Jack Viney. Who is the next
0: one? Ah, yes. Viney. This should be an interesting one. This is a bit of a storied history.
1: Very much so. So, father-son in 2012, obviously son of Todd Viney. uh, We gave up the number 26 pick. I think this was the first year you had to give up a first rounder for father-son. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But it was worth it.
0: Um, Going back... There was something to do with that, wasn't there? Like whether Melbourne would have to use their first pick or their like second first round pick. Yeah. Do you remember the discussion around that?
1: I remember that it was very run together at the last minute, that we weren't really sure what was going to be given up until pretty much the draft day. Yeah, so
0: yeah. I'm not quite sure how that worked out, but I remember Viney saying in the media, uh, you know, if they don't pick me, them being Melbourne, they're going to pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> so that was quite a statement for someone to make who had never even played a game. But I guess that just shows the type of player Biden yeah. would become and the type of person he is. Like, you know, it's sort of him against the world a little bit. But uh, yeah, he's a very tough, uncompromising player.
1: Yeah. And he was very keen to get to Melbourne, obviously. Uh, going back even before his career. Uh, The Oakley Chargers coach at the time, Greg Doyle, uh, praised him for his aggressive streak and non-stop competitiveness, saying that not many boys this age have that. So he was a cut above, really, in that. Just a man-possessed or a young kid-possessed at the time. Played his first game against Port in 2013, and we got pumped. But he was our best player. And I just remember thinking at the start of that season... Uh, when a first gamer is your best player in a seventy-nine point loss, you know it's going to be a long season.
0: Yeah, that's an indictment on the rest of the yes. guys, isn't that? If the first game is showing everyone up.
1: That's right. But as a, on the plus side, for a first-year player, he displayed many of these natural leadership att- attributes and a burning passion for the red and blue, which is something we hadn't really seen for so long at Melbourne. Just a a guy who bled the, you know, he, he was dying for the jumper, and it, it kind of. Yeah, I just hadn't really seen that kind of, um, yeah, that, that family passion for a long time at Melbourne. It, it just kind of felt like, you know, the Tom Scullies were coming in and just doing their thing. And it was just refreshing to have someone with that that desire. Yeah, absolutely. For the club. And couldn't have come at a better time. He did have a lot of trouble, some foot injuries, and they kind of threatened to tailspin his career at some points. Um, but He's had a lot of trouble with those yes. feet, hasn't he? And it's it is kind of one of those questions you wonder how long his career will go for and if those if that is something that has to be managed but look i think the medical staff have have done the right thing by viney i think there were definitely times when he always wanted to play and um they took the decision out of his hands and he probably wasn't happy about it but it was for the greater good Yeah, it
0: seems like it is just going to be something that's kind of always yeah. with him now. I think over the last three or four years, he's missed prolonged stretches with this injury, but he always seems to be pretty good, like straight away when he comes back in. Yeah. So I think they really know what they're dealing with now. And yeah, he's probably never going to be the player now who's going to play, you know, 20 games in a season, but uh, maybe Melbourne doesn't need him to be that player maybe anymore.
1: That's right though. Um, he was one of those players that even when he had spent a lot of time off, he always managed to get up for big games, even if he would barely had any match practice. he comes straight into the finals against Geelong, played a really good game. Uh, even recently this season, uh, it maybe took about two or three games, but he really brought his best for the finals, I felt. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, a lot of there were people that criticised his style of play, saying he was a bit you know a bit slow, maybe too much brawn, that the game was passing this type of player by. But this really just proves that if you've made it to this level, um, there's always you can always find a way to reinvent your game. I think and 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 have an influence. I mean, he's 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 done the right thing by the club a lot, really. I mean, obviously could have entertained an offer from Geelong last year, but he stuck with the D's. Um, He was the captain. He and he probably, that was probably his pride and joy. And it was probably very hard for him to give that up, but he did that for the benefit of the team. Um, Yeah. He's, this is another one of the feel good stories because Todd's probably sitting back smiling right now, knowing that he wasn't able to achieve this, but Jack's been able to do it. And yeah, it's, uh, Yeah, he's the model professional footballer, I think.
0: Just another point to add on to that, Johnny. I guess he was one of the guys who really had to embrace a bit of a different role for the team. For a long time there, he was, you know, the first or second midfielder for Melbourne. And, you know, he was getting basically the role that reflected that. He was the guy who relying on to, you know, get all the clearances, get as many possessions as he could. But yeah, I guess as Petrarca and Oliver have come on more and more. Um, Viney's spot, I guess, has gone a little bit further down the totem pole. And uh, yeah, I guess he's been able to embrace that over the last couple of years. But yeah, it's probably not something that every player can do, especially someone as competitive as Jack Viney. And I think he, the, the role he's playing now in the last sort of second half of this season has been fantastic he's been you know getting in and under getting the clearances out taking the easy option by foot and uh, just uh you know doing the hard stuff putting the blocks on taking defensive position these sorts of things so yeah testament to jack that even if uh you know he's not the number 1 midfielder anymore he can still be extremely important for the team i think he had a game high 10 clearances in the grand final and I remember that toe off the ground for one of the uh, goals Melbourne got in that third quarter run. So, yeah, extremely important on in the all the finals, but in particular in the grand final.
1: Definitely. And if there does happen to be any Carlton fans listening to our special Melbourne episode tonight, um, just take note of this because I've heard a lot of people say similar stuff about Paddy Cripps and he could be the perfect example with some, you know, New tweaks to his game, maybe a new fitness program, just some good guidance. He could find he could reinvent himself and find himself playing a, a very good role with the Blues.
0: Absolutely. Let's get going. Number nine is Jaden Hunt. So obviously Hunt wasn't able to uh, get the Premiership medal, but he did play a very important role for Melbourne throughout the season. So Hunt was actually drafted to Melbourne in 2013 at pick 57, and it wasn't really until 2016 where he had his breakout year. He was a hard-running, line-breaking player and uh, one of Paul Ruse's favourites. He would talk him up every time he got the chance. Without Ruse there, though, he did go through a couple of years where he really struggled to find the ball and didn't play that many games, some Some of the time he was being played up forward, sometimes in the back line. But, yeah, at the start of this year, he was given his chance, really solidified him spot in the back six. And, uh, yeah, very reliable this year. And, you know, he still had some of the trademark run coming off halfback. Didn't always find heaps of the ball, but enough of it. And, uh, yeah, did a good accountable role as a defender. And, uh, ultimately, he went out with a foot injury quite late in the season, which gave uh, Bowie a chance to come in. And, uh, yeah, I guess we'll talk about Bowie a little bit later, but he didn't look back and uh, Hunt never got back into the team. But, yeah, instrumental in sort of the first three quarters of the season that uh, Melbourne uh, had him in the side for and uh, very uh, important part of the defence this year.
1: Yeah, he always seemed like he was a bit of a bit of a nearly man like he was nearly a good dashing halfback flanker he was nearly a good goal sneak forward um but there always just seemed to be something something missing and maybe it was a lack of smarts i'm not totally sure like just sort of sense football sense but this year i was so impressed with him this year i thought he was He just threw himself into everything. 50-50 challenges. Very courageous, especially aerially this year as well. Uh, I was loving what he was doing. Uh, It was a real shame when he went down injured. But like you said, it did allow for Bower to come in and he did what he did. Um, But yeah, look, a big part of the journey. 2016, that really took a lot of people by surprise. Just the fact that he was able to get it and just off Route 1, just right up the middle. No one could seem to catch him. It was amazing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I guess the game that stands out most with a few of his runs this year was that game against GWS at the MCG. Unfortunately, Melbourne's forward line at the time wasn't really functioning that well, and by the time he got to half forward, uh, perhaps he'd waited too long and hadn't quite picked the right option. But, uh, yeah, some great memories of him running down the wing at the MCG.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he was offered a two-year contract at the start of the year, and most people I was talking to had the same opinion. They they weren't all that fast. It wasn't a good thing. It wasn't a bad thing. Just a good player to have on the list. But, yeah, I, I think you definitely need guys like this in the, in the list, and it never hurts to have some more speed.
0: He's definitely elevated himself. You'd say yeah, this has been sure. his best year. I so think so. I think so. Hopefully... Um Hopefully he can have another good year next year. Absolutely. Let's get going. Number 10 is Christian Salem.
1: Yes. So, good old Salo. Uh, He was pick nine in the 2013 draft after we traded the second pick for that one, pick nine, and Dom Tyson. And he was predominantly a halfback flanker that made good decisions and regularly hit targets and lo and behold he's still that He's he's but he's take he has taken his game to the next level but um yeah just mr reliable beautiful by foot made yeah just really cool under pressure Um, uh, but i do want to share a story about christian salem because uh, yeah this was my first memory of christian and one of my favorites apart from this year obviously but Uh, You probably remember the Essendon game in his first year, 2014, at the MCG. Uh, The Dons were all over us early and missing. they were missing a lot of opportunities though. They were kicking a lot of behinds and somehow it left the door open and we were making a bit of a comeback, got to within about five points down and then with about 30 seconds left, Daniel Cross laced him out about Twenty-five minutes out from goals in <laughs> front. Yeah, I remember that. And I was at that game with my son and friend, and I don't know what what we we're doing that day, but we, we were just floating around. We couldn't get a good seat or something, so we just kept moving around. But in the last quarter, we somehow wormed our way down to level one in the southern stand behind the goals. So I ended up being right behind the goals as he kicked that winner, and I'm. Look, don't want to make this a self-gloss segment, but I, I'm pretty sure I am on camera. If anyone looks that up on YouTube or I'm standing up <laughs> with my arms in the air. Yeah. And there's a listening guy next to me still sitting. So yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that was, yeah. Um, that was just a little, little bit of fun there, but yeah, he's just, he's just Mr. Reliable. I mean, and he's this year I've noticed he, he seemed to add a bit of hardness into his game. He was, he's taking some really good contested marks and, just tackling really hard, I'm so like very impressed with how he's come along, uh, and his game. Ninety six percent efficiency in the grand final. How do you how do you top that, then? I mean, yeah, it's
0: yeah, been awesome this year. I think he was probably on track for all Australian in the first half of the season. Then he had a bit of an injury and worked his way back from that. But uh, yeah, peak form in this grand final really set it up in that first quarter, uh, just with a combination of. Really good use by foot and uh, yeah, the hardness around the ball. And he's the he's probably the complete backman now, really. Like, yeah, there's plenty of other you know running halfbacks in the, the competition. I guess not many of them have as good a skills as Salem either, but I think of those skillful halfbacks, Salem would probably be pretty close to the top of you know the best defender to go on top of those attacking attributes. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess he's a, sort of player that still probably doesn't get a huge amount of attention from the media just because he sort of just does the same thing over and over. But uh, yeah. it's yeah. pretty damn good to watch. So maybe with Melbourne, you know, being a bit more of a glamour team, perhaps <laughs> the yeah. next couple of years, he might get a little bit more attention.
1: Yep. Yep. For sure. Absolutely. And yeah, just how far have we come? Like that was literally one of the biggest moments of my Melbourne supporting life. And it was, all it was, was a, win that happened to be our fourth win of the season. <laughs> now we're celebrating premiership. So, yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? it was, yeah. What do you think about those times when you reflect on on things like this?
0: Just to go back to the way Melbourne drafted him, because there's always been a lot of discussion about this. Yep. Melbourne had picked two. Uh, I think they were pretty happy to get a couple of the guys later in the draft who they thought they would go slightly later in the top ten. So, yeah, they split that pick got Dom Tyson over from GWS as well as pick nine. And, uh, yeah, Dom Tyson was a good player for Melbourne for a few years. He probably never hit the heights that maybe Melbourne recruited him for, but he was he was still a good contributor. And, yeah, so I guess then it became, like, you know, Salem versus Josh Kelly. And, uh, you know, Josh Kelly's been a great player for GWS. But in terms of, you know, again, what Melbourne's needed and, you know, the type of player that, Sort of elevates Melbourne. I think Salem is, uh, well, he's Melbourne's best, you know, most skilled backman for sure. So I think he's just a great fit for this team. And uh, I think any team, he'd make any team better. Which is a great thing to say about the player.
1: Yeah. I think, yeah, at that time, it was just about getting more value out of that pick. And yeah, Ruse wanted to get more depth into certain positions. And yeah, it was a very good decision.
0: Okay, let's keep going. We're up to 11th, Ben Brown. So obviously he started his career at North Melbourne. He was actually pick 47 in the 2013 draft, so another bargain really. And uh, did take a few years, but he's turned into one of the best forwards in the competition, best tall forwards that would be. So from 2017 to 2019, he kicked more than 60 goals in each of those seasons. So very consistent, I guess best known for his uh, long approach to goal, Uh, very uh, basically the same each time, quite, uh, you know, slow, steady run up. But uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't looked at his accuracy over the years, but I think especially in those years, he would have been one of the more accurate forwards. So uh, yeah, one thing I remember about Ben Brown was he just always seemed to play well against Melbourne. <laughs> we we always seemed to concede three or more goals, and he'd often kick five or six. And this was through that stretch where North Melbourne got that massive winning run over Melbourne. I think they might have beaten us like eighteen or nineteen times in a row. And like a lot of this time, North weren't even actually that good. Like they did have they did have a few good couple years of finals through appearances. Yeah, nothing Yeah, could, yeah. but like. There were years where they were in the bottom eight and Melbourne still couldn't beat them, so... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: exactly, exactly.
0: Just one of those bogey teams.
1: And but that time when we didn't have a good uh, keep defender either.
0: Yes, that didn't help. But, yeah, Ben Brown really did struggle with a knee injury in 2020 and, uh, yeah, didn't get to play many games. And there was some concerns that, you know, the game may have gone past him. Did he have enough speed? Did the way he plays the game sort of match up with the new sort of, you know, style the game was being played. Um, I guess he was seen as more of a, you know, lead up forward and, you know, is that the sort of player that's needed these days? So Melbourne actually got him in, in the off season of 2020, obviously first season in 2021. Uh, I can't remember the exact pick around 23, maybe. Uh, yeah, that does ring a bell. Yeah. I think it was 23. So, uh, Yeah, I think there was a bit of debate at the time whether Melbourne had sort of overpaid. I think most people thought there was a pretty reasonable uh, swap there. So, uh, yeah, but it was all to be proven. He definitely wasn't a player that was, you know, without risk. He'd had a very bad knee injury. And, uh, you know, there were some questions about whether he would ever actually be able to recapture anywhere near his best form.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's had a... He's had his injury troubles throughout his career. I think, um, I, I think it was it took till about his fourth season to actually get a full preseason. <laughs> so he, he'd shown what he'd shown up until that point, not even in full in full nick, I guess. But yeah, that knee didn't sound great. It seemed like they just couldn't quite get it right north, and yeah, eventually he requested that trade, and maybe that was maybe. It, Scared a few other teams off that might have been in for him, like Collingwood or someone who needed a forward. But um, yeah, it was, and it was, it wasn't smooth sailing at the start for Mel- at Melbourne either. I mean, he was coming from behind again, uh, missing some of this preseason, and kind of had to do a mini preseason again during the year. But I tell you what, after he did that mini preseason, he came back looking as fit as ever. He was covering ground, he was on. the running on his leads again as quick as ever. um, Yeah, the back end of this season it was very, very good for Benny, I thought.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I think he had to wait about seven or eight weeks this season before getting a look in. They were content to play him in the VFL and just let him uh, build up to match fitness that way. But yeah, I guess when he came in for the two or three games thereafter, he did look a bit underdone and although he had a good game, I think it was against Richmond maybe or maybe Sydney. Maybe I think it was Sydney. Swans, I think, yeah. A couple of goals there, but yeah. Went out of the team and as you said, did sort of a mini preseason and uh tried to get the body right to a state where, you know, he could not only, you know, play as a key forward but also play as a member of sort of Melbourne system, you know, getting up and down the ground, uh defending when he had to those sorts of things. And yeah, when he came back in late in the season uh, after they'd sort of tried Wiedemann and he was having very little impact, Brown got another chance. And yeah, pretty much from the word go after he came back in, it was clear that he was making Melbourne's forward line far better. So even when he wasn't marking it, he was very good at bringing it to ground. Uh, yeah, and as he you know got more games, he got more confident, he was marking more, he was running his defender around and yeah, fantastic final series. By the end of it, I'm pretty convinced that he was Melbourne's most important forward in terms of structure and he kicked plenty of goals as well. So, yeah, I'm I'm happy to say that I don't think Melbourne wins the premiership this year without Ben Brown. Maybe they would have found a way, but it would have been a lot harder.
1: I, th- I think it would have been a lot harder. I think uh yeah, it's it's not all about the stats with Ben Brown. I mean, it's it's the role that he plays. And I, I remember when we we were at that GWS game then, um, we and we didn't have Brown. We just looked so... We just... We we looked really lacking up forward. It looked like we were relying on fritz a lot. McDonald yeah, was getting... Yeah, we were going to gr- fritz
0: a lot one-on-one, weren't we? We just and looked just very didn't light.
1: We looked really light. And then the next week, we brought Brown in against Port. And he might have only kicked one or something, but... He was just providing that big body, you know, he's big. It's like almost like a tree. You you can't, you you can't miss it. You need to tend to it. And yeah, it just balanced things out a lot better. Um, yeah, what a superb final series I thought he played in the grand final. I'm, I'm with you. I don't think that, I don't think that we win it without making that decision. Uh. And sometimes it's hard to make that decision because there were the naysayers, the people that were thinking the game had passed him by. Uh oh, but the balance works well now. Uh, seemingly it did at the time. Uh there's no room for you know, for him in the style of, you know, it's
0: it's gonna muck things up. It's yeah, it couldn't have been further from the truth, I guess. And It showed in the second half of the season that he was adaptable. He could change to play the way Melbourne wanted him to play. It wasn't everything up on the lead. He was actually taking some contested marks. And even when he wasn't marking it in those contested situations, he was usually coming to the front, which actually helped Melbourne a lot as well. So, yeah, big tick for Ben Brown.
1: And he was bringing it to ground as well. A lot of people thought he couldn't, but you don't have to be exceptional in that area sometimes. As long as you're doing it enough of the time, it's a yep. plus.
0: Absolutely. So uh, three goals in the grand final. Uh, I think just under 30 goals for the year, even though he didn't really play that many games. So almost two goals a game he was averaging. And, yeah, invaluable for Melbourne's structure. So fantastic addition there. And hopefully he can do it for another year or two at least. All right, let's move to number 12, Christian Petraka.
1: Yes, yes, good old Christian Number two pick in the 2014 draft. A lot of Melbourne fans had high hopes, but he did his knee in his first preseason for the 2015 season.
0: Let's Uh, just, can we just very quickly talk about that uh, draft pick? Sure, sure. (laughs) uh, Because St Kilda, yes. yes. St Kilda, who had the number one draft pick there. And yeah, there was a lot of conjecture about who they would take. I think for most of the season, Kristen Petrarca was being talked about as the obvious number one pick but I think a bit late in the piece uh, you know it was getting into the, onto the radar that St Kilda wanted to take a tall forward, they wanted a replacement for Rewalt, and uh, yeah, Paddy McCartan was the name being bandied around I suppose.
1: Well I think McCartan uh, on talent or, or just on form was, was probably the standout but he had the glandular fever, no sorry the diabetes yeah, the diabetes problems. And um, yeah, that was definitely helping with the with the conjecture a bit. And, you know, maybe Petrarca's the safer pick. Um, and yeah, the
0: rest was history. I mean. I, I remember on draft night, I was so happy when they took McCartan. Oh, me too. <laughs> I <laughs> me just too. thought Petrarca was going to be awesome. And it took a while, but yeah, he got there. Yep.
1: Uh, no, I'm with you. I was thrilled as well. But St. Kilda were desperate for a key forward and that. Probably swayed their thinking a bit as well, but yeah, we had the high hopes. He did do his knee in that first preseason, so it was a bit of a bummer. But that's okay. In 2016, we really started seeing glimpses of his of his potential, playing a bit up forward in the middle. 2017, same thing. Um, helped us get to the finals in 2018, but still. Still a little bit inconsistent then. Uh, he would he would have his good games, but he could go missing every now and then. Um, people forget he was
0: still th- mostly playing as a forward then, wasn't he? <laughs>
1: mostly playing as a forward as well. Yeah, definitely. Like half forward, maybe deep. But um, yeah, questions whether he could probably last a full
0: game in the midfield. Um, yeah, early some of the early memories of Petrarca when he, he was starting to get better. He used to try and do too much, I thought. Like, he would... Obviously, he's a very strong guy, and he was back then as well, but he would just take on the tackler a little bit too often, just try and do a little bit too much with the ball, and invariably, a lot of the time, it didn't work.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and he seemed to have a very haphazard mindset as well. Like, I remember one time at Marvel, seeing him line up for a set shot. It might have been against St. Kilda, and... He's the only player I've ever seen do this, but as he was walking in, he drops the ball onto the ground, and then <laughs> I don't know if that's play on or not. But he quickly picks it up again, and he actually nailed the set shot. But <laughs> I, I just thought, yeah, he was just a little bit, um, yeah, I think not lacking focus, but a little it, bit scattered. It's just a little bit. He's much is like laser focus now, but um, yeah. It, I think people forget 2019 wasn't a bad year for him. He was definitely making his ascent. Yeah, it was, um, it was good. He booted 22 goals, averaged 18 positions a game. Good platform going into that preseason.
0: The goal uh, kicking is a little bit of a weird one, though, because I remember I can't remember when it was, but when he first started getting better, his goal kicking was awesome. Yes. And then suddenly the next year, it was horrid.
1: <laughs> You're right. You're right. He's, um, I think, 2017 is set
0: shots were pretty good and then
1: eighteen dropped off a cliff. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I'm not quite sure what there what was going on there. I guess we've both identified that he does sometimes have a bit of a high ball drop, but uh I don't know whether he's corrected that too much now. I guess it's something pretty hard to get rid of. Probably more of an just issue. Plays a big part now. Yeah, yeah. It's probably more of an issue when he's uh taking the set shot. I think on the run he probably guides it down a little bit more. Yes. But uh yeah, I think he's definitely been better on the set shot this year as well. Yes. Like, it hasn't been fantastic, but it's been passable. One, one thing you can you
1: can always back him in though for a big time set shot. <laughs> he seems to rise yeah. to the occasion yeah. for that. Yeah, one of those guys. Um,
0: and he yeah, had two big goals in the grand final.
1: Yep, yep. Need need I say more? Um, yeah, over twenty twenty worked harder than ever on his fitness, and yeah, twenty twenty one was able to spend more minutes in the middle. And yeah, last year he would announced himself as one of the game's very best players. And this year continued on and won the greatest honour you can in the game's biggest game. Um, really, really happy for, so happy for track. Um, he, you know, it, it was just, there's plenty of players like this. They don't, they may not have the best habits, I guess, early on, but the penny drops at some point and they get the right habits and. Yeah,
0: just
1: he suddenly knew what it took to be an AFL footballer and hasn't looked
0: back. He's such a destructive player when he's on, and more often than not, he is on now. So, like, once he gets a little bit of space, he's just so powerful. It's almost impossible to tackle him once he gets out into a bit of space. And his ball use has got better the second half of the year as well. I think there was a stat floating around that he actually had one of the worst inside 50, going inside 50 to actually find a target, that sort of percentage, but uh, he definitely improved that, uh, maybe just taking a little bit more time, getting a little bit more settled before he takes a kick, but uh, yeah, you can. there was so much of that in the grand final as well, just using the strength around the contest I said, you know, he probably did that a bit too much earlier in his career, but I think he he does sort of choose the right moment a little bit more now, and he's just stronger now, so he can do it better.
1: And once again, more confidence, things happen, good things happen more often than not um yeah yeah he's yeah turned into an amazing player there's not many players like this in the comp and if you've got one of them you don't give them up
0: no no and we've got the seven year contract now so hopefully he sees that through and uh, Melbourne gets good service out of him all the way through i suppose the only one part of the game where he could still probably improve a little bit and if he improved this then I don't think there'd be much debating about who's the best player in the competition. If he could just straighten up his set shots a little bit more, he'd be kicking a lot more three or four goal games. He gets plenty of shots. So that's probably the one thing. And, you know, these really high-quality midfielders, that's quite often a knock on their game. It was a bit like that for Bontempelli. He's definitely straightened up this year, taking his game to another level. Dangerfield, fire. Yeah, Crips. They're They're pretty poor on the set shot. There's not many good ones. (laughs) 50-50 or worse. So I think tracks actually ahead of probably all of those guys, but he could still straighten up even more. Yeah, so it is a rare skill to have, I guess. But,
1: yeah, if he can keep improving, yeah, sky's the limit for Christian Petrarca. Absolutely. But as
0: far as everything else goes, yeah, A+.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. No, very, very happy for, for Christian and... Yeah, he's he's turned into a very hungry footballer, I think. Um, I felt like before, he might... Um, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he might have been a bit... He might have been content with certain levels in his game, like getting his 20-odd possessions and that. Now, he seems like a guy... I just—I didn't see him as this kind of guy before, a guy who would have been just possessed to get even more, like high 30s and 40s. Now, he seems like, oh, just more, 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 more. Yeah, just...
0: Just I think one, really one thing I want to add here as well, Johnny, is just the shift from last year where he was third in the brown load to this year. I think Melbourne players have talked a lot about this being a bit more selfless. And I think Petrarch is probably a good example of this. He probably had less 30 possession games, but he probably did more defensive running. He was getting into better positions in the front half to actually be used or set up scoring chains. So his even though his possessions were lower, his score involvements were off the chart. So they were the best in the competition. I think he was. I don't know what he was averaging, but he was clearly number one in the competition with that stat. So although he probably had more games in that sort of twenty to twenty five possession range, uh, his am- impact, if anything, was probably actually higher. Yeah. Yep, no doubt about it. No doubt about that. And he, again, he did poll very well in the Brownlow, but I guess Clary and him took a few votes off each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's all right. And we, we've already talked about the Brownlow. We don't particularly care about that. So <laughs> <laughs> we much prefer our two-way running midfielders to uh, be doing the hard stuff. <laughs>
1: I thought you were going to say, we've already talked about the Brownlow. We don't particularly want to talk about it again. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. So... We move on to our next player and that is angus brayshaw so literally the next pick of the 2014 draft at number three angus brayshaw debuted in round one against gold coast and i just remember being at the g that day dan and just seeing this guy playing like an absolute animal he laid nine tackles which i think was the game high and he just threw himself into absolutely everything this was pre-helmet days as well Um, sometimes youngsters just come in and like this, they've just got no fear and he was definitely one of these guys and with Track being injured so early in the piece, the spotlight kind of did go a bit more onto Gus as one of the new draftees Um, he did get the second year Blues in 2016, I think he was injured in the NAP Challenge and from there he was in and out of the team Um, it was in the VFL where he got his first concussion after, I think it was a wet day somewhere, like Frankston or something, and the ball was wet, and he received a kick to the head. <laughs> the ball hit him in the head, and it was wet, so he got concussed. Uh, I think the kick was actually by Alex Neil Bullen. Um, but, yeah, not not good, but he came back two weeks later and got concussed again against Sandringham, and from there, he was in and out of the team again. This continued into 2017, Dan. He got his third head knock in 12 months at North Ballarat. It was seen to be minor, but then after missing three weeks, he got concussed for the fourth time by Jed Lamb at uh, the Northern Blues, and then a lot of us thought at this point we just had in the back of our mind was was AFL footy the sport for Angus? You know, is this working out as well as it could for such a young man? And yeah, just for a very brief moment, it seemed like maybe maybe this could be. Not a set, not a happy ending, but... Um, yeah, they,
0: he was yeah. off the radar for a long time there. like it, I know you're talking about him playing a bit of VFL every now and then, but from an AFL perspective, he, he was just completely off the radar. And I guess, you know, some Melbourne supporters were wondering, you know, whether they would see him again, or even if they did see him again, would he be, you know, this guy that's going to fulfill his potential, going very high in the draft and all this sort of stuff, but... Yeah, I think more than anything, people were just worried about him because he was just getting so many head knocks and just couldn't uh, come close to, you know, getting back into the AFL.
1: That's it. You know, so at the end of the day, it is just a game and health is more important than anything. And it did seem like it was going that way, but he had a bit of time off. He then got back to training and eventually it was, I think it was round 21 in 2017 he finally made his comeback to the AFL against St. Kilda. Uh, and in that game, he actually got another <laughs> head knock from Kobe Stevens. Uh, and there was a moment there where hearts were in mouths. But he bounced straight back up and went on to play a pretty good game that day. Uh, make, you know, with some good decision-making. Uh, 2018, moved to the middle and showed the world what he was capable of, coming third in the Brownlow. Um, 2019, as it was for many players, uh, he had his struggles, uh, Yeah, wasn't maybe as fit as he could have been, but the next year, as many other players, he got as he really worked on his fitness. And twenty twenty one is where we come to where he assumed a new role on the wing, which might which was a real team thing to do because I think it seemed like from the outset that Gus thought his best position was in the middle, um, but he moved to the wing and worked really hard to adapt to that that new role, putting defensive work into some of the game's best wingmen and really backing himself in 50, 50 contests. It's an amazing transformation for Gus and culminated in the grand final, which I believe is his best game for the club. I mean, what do you think, Dan? Is there a better, like, uh, is there a better positional transformation story in this team?
0: I'd probably say no, but I might go back a little bit just to give this a little bit more context because, uh, if you go to 2018, that's is the year he finishes third in the brown low. Melbourne's playing this crazy attacking style. You just see these uh, pieces of play where Brayshaw is just getting out into all sorts of space, coming out of stoppage, and usually he's spotting someone up pretty well. So, no, yeah, no wonder the umpires noticed him. But, yeah, I guess from 2019 to 2020, Melbourne started having lots of problems with too many players hunting the ball no one on the outside, and, yeah, that was a big knock on them for a long time. And, yeah, in 2020 in particular, I think they did start trying to play Brayshaw a little bit more on the wing. And, yeah, a lot of Melbourne supporters were really puzzled by this because, you know, they'd seen him play so well in the midfield. Like, why are you playing this guy on the wing? He doesn't know what he's doing, which was the general consensus. Yeah, it was, it was, definitely, yeah. (laughs) So I think, yeah, there must have been a bit more buy-in perhaps in the off-season, coming into 2021, realized that, you know, this was going to be his lot, make the best of it, try and be the best wingman he possibly could be. And, uh, yeah, I think having Langdon there, Ed Langdon probably helped as well, who's been a fantastic wingman and probably taught him a bit of the craft. But, yeah, just the ability for Brayshaw to get back into defense, take the dangerous space, provide an option to the w- on the wing, hard running, uh, go go for the hard contest when he has to and his kicking isn't always fantastic but can be very good as well so it's a bit variable there but yeah I think it's a classic example of a guy who probably thought he should be doing more but eventually realized that the best thing for the team was for him to do something else and fully bought into that
1: absolutely and in the grand final it it, in some ways it looked He had the look in the eye of the young 18-year-old I remember seeing in that first game in round one, 2015. He just – that throwing himself at everything, like never-say-die attitude and flying for everything. Um, Obviously, this isn't the first time that we've seen it from him since, but it just – it was a bit of a throwback. And, yeah, good on you, Gus. Good on you, Gus.
0: Absolutely. I guess the signature moment – well, he's kind of got two in the grand final. First one where he goes back with the flight of the ball and basically – smashes into Shaki where yeah. it looks like he's going to mark it you probably could have called it a free kick Yeah, you I could was have. pretty happy that they let that go it's kind of 50-50 I think it, most people would he, say pay it but he, but he collects
1: lever as well so yeah. maybe that's why it was dicey Yeah,
0: I don't know like for me he's just going back contesting the ball or you know he's probably if he was maybe half a second later then yeah it's a free kick Yeah, I, I'm happy with it not being a free I'm kick I'm happy with it too yeah And then you've got the other one where he's working really hard at half-forward, sees a little pocket of space, diving back into oncoming players, uh, accepting that short kick from Bowie and goes back and nails a set shot right in the middle of that third-quarter run to keep the scoreboard ticking over. All right, that is the Angus Brayshaw story uh, up until now, and uh, it's a good one.